Hello, and welcome to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. My name's Charlotte, I'm Patient Advocacy Manager here at Leukemia Care. On today's episode of Leukemia Chatters, I'm joined by Lisa, an essential thrombocythemia patient diagnosed in 2012. Today, we talked about how she came to term with this rare diagnosis, the wider impacts it's had on her life, and the help and support that she has received over the last decade. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. When it comes to talking about your story, how did it start for you? Diagnosis in 2012, what were the events that led up to that day? Uh, 12 months before then, I was having a lot of bruising the size of tennis balls all over my legs. Fatigue was horrendous, but I just thought it was because I was getting shingles a lot. So shingles kept erupting every month. It didn't matter how much I slept, it wasn't enough. I was doing a course in the August. I became very poorly and... When I got home, I had the migraine that I've never had before and it took me off my feet. I had that for three days. On the third day, I was confined to bed. I couldn't move. So an ambulance was called out to to help me. I was took into hospital. I had lots of tests. Everything's okay. It's a migraine. And then the blood results, I was told, you need a bone marrow biopsy something is wrong. Wow, so quite a lot of symptoms there over the course of this 12 preceding months before that diagnosis. I'm curious, with the bruises in particular, was that something that was a cause for concern? Was that something you noticed? What was that like living with these bruises, these unusual bruises for 12 months or so? I don't think I was concerned because I just thought, oh, maybe it's my age, maybe it's to do with the menopause. But the exhaustion was absolutely unbelievable. So I thought it was something else. But the bruising was the size of tennis balls and it was all over my legs. And I just thought, oh, I must be knocking against things gently and not actually realising what it's doing for me. Sure. So it sounds like the most standout symptom for you over the course of that year was the lack of energy, the, the fatigue that you're experiencing. How was it exactly to experience that over the course of the year? Was it quite a slow onset? Was it noticeable? Was it noticeable in your day-to-day life and your activities? I was I was a regular person at the gym. I've always been to the gym. Exercising was brilliant. When I started exercising, when I felt tired, instead of having the adrenaline rush when I got home, I was absolutely exhausted. And I knew there was something seriously wrong going on because all the while before, the adrenaline rush was absolutely brilliant. And with this extended period of low energy over 12 months, did friends, family, loved ones, did they notice this change in you, in in this change of your energy levels? Nobody did. Nobody realised. I just kept it to myself about the bruises. But I was telling my mum... And she was the one that said that I needed an ambulance. And it sounds like the tipping point for you was that debilitating migraine. Those those three days. How were they? They were awful. My body was so cold. It felt like I was in um, a freezer. The headache was unbelievable. It took me off my feet. I couldn't move. I actually couldn't talk. I couldn't do 
anything. And the tears came, but I wasn't actually crying. The tears just came by themselves. It was the worst three days I'd ever experienced. Then after being taken in the ambulance, it was your bloods then that flagged something and you were taken more seriously. It was. Everything else seemed okay. I had a scan and everything. The brain's okay. And then a doctor came in and said, "Um, Lisa, you need to stay in and we've got a problem. Your platelets are very high. We need to do a bone marrow biopsy. And that's when I said no. I was I was so scared. So what happened next for you? I was put on a ward. Um, I was told that I needed clotting injections just in case I had a clot in the body. And I was told that I'd be there for the 24 hours. I was given morphine for the pain for my head. I went home the next day waiting for an appointment for an MRI scan. That very day... I had a phone call to say they wanted to see me at two o'clock. So I had the MRI the next day. I I still couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't move around. And then luckily, the MRI scan was clear, so I didn't need any more injections to stop me from getting blood clots. That that was a relief, but I still wasn't all there. It was like I was somebody else because I just couldn't do anything at all. I was like a zombie. I can't imagine how scary of a time that must have been for you then. You were wheelchair bound and the conversations were about blood clots and platelet counts and terminology that... Were you very aware of what what it all meant and what they were talking about? Did, Did you have much prior knowledge of blood cancer before then? No, it just went over my head and I just thought, no, they've got something wrong. This is wrong. This isn't me. It's not me. So at what point then did blood cancer and essential thrombocythemia become a part of the conversation for you? I was told to go to my doctor's in a week's time. I went and he said, I need to put you on aspirin and refer you to haematology. When I told him about the bruising, he said, unfortunately, I can't put you on the aspirin. So I'll write to haematology and we'll take it from there when you get an appointment. So I got a letter through, went to haematology. I was told, you need a bone marrow biopsy. This was booked in for the next day. My head was just exploding. I was given a booklet. Uh, It was actually from Leukemia Care. And it had all the different blood cancers in there. And this was the only thing that the haematologist, clinical specialist nurse had. And to me, that really helped me. I cannot actually believe it was leukemia care. I remember the booklet. I can see it now. What a godsend. We need leukemia care booklets out. And everybody needs to know about them because they really help. They reassure you. That's amazing to hear that they had such a positive impact on you, especially at such a time where for many patients in those early days, there can be a really steep learning curve as you're thrown headfirst into terminology and and haematology. 
why do you think the booklets had such a big impact on you and what and why were they so useful to you at that time i hadn't got any information whatsoever the condition was in the booklet i wasn't as scared I, I read about the condition in the booklet my initial thought was is it going to take my life so reading the booklet and finding out no if you do what YouTube do, take your medication, keep yourself fit and healthy, it all helps. And lifespan is generally normal anyway, and that was one of the biggest things I could have ever read. What are you planning to achieve this year? Does it include free falling from 15,000 feet? Maybe flying on a zip wire is more your thing. Join Team LC this year, raising vital funds as well as your pulse rate. We'll support you all the way in raising the money. The question is, are you brave enough to take on the challenge? Simply search online for Leukemia Care Zipwire or Leukemia Care Skydive to find out more. So who was it then that gave you that diagnosis of essential thrombocythemia? When I went for my first appointment at haematology, they put me on aspirin and said, right, it could be essential thrombocythemia. It could be if you've had an operation recently and I said no and I said okay then it's something that you have actually got which is a defect in the body so by my marrow biopsy the next day it actually confirmed it was ET through genetic defect. And I know you were quite worried about that first bone marrow biopsy so how was that experience for you in the end? I was quite worried but the lady that was doing it she was heavily pregnant, and that helped me. That reassured me a little bit. Um, and when the pain started, when she was doing the bone marrow biopsy, to get myself through this, I was actually doing opera high notes. I was I was ah, I I was doing that. So I went a little higher when it hurt. But my focus was on this, and the lady said, you are not screaming, you are not shouting. So I'm quite impressed. Well, I won't lie, that is the, uh, the first time I've heard that used as a pain management method for bone marrow biopsies. But if it works for you... It did, I have to say, making the high notes when the pain was intense. To me, it, it really helped. It was just my way of coping. I have to ask... Do you have an operatic background of some sort? Oh dear, no. I'm afraid <laughs> not. When it rains, it's obviously because Lisa's tried to have a little bit of a sink. <laughs> I found the webinars really interesting. Again, because I think of the lack of information you're given during treatment. And if you are given information, often at the time, it just it's just in one ear, out the other. So at the time, I think I didn't really take in a lot of the information and my husband did. And so after treatment, I actually went back to your YouTube channel and watched a lot of your webinars. Most recently, there was one on acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, which I found really useful. Leukaemia Care's informational webinars are about the topics that matter to you, whether that be the current news in COVID, the latest developments in treatment and much more. You can hear from patients and healthcare professionals alike, providing insight on all things leukaemia. Watching it live even lets you post questions directly to those panels. Find out when our next webinar is scheduled by heading on over to our social media or our website. Or to watch those you've already missed, check out our YouTube channel. And so, from the results of this bone marrow biopsy, 
they confirmed your diagnosis as essential thrombocythemia. How was it for you to receive this news and this diagnosis? I was absolutely devastated. I just went home and I cried and thought, why me? What have I done? I didn't understand it. Um, my mum was getting my brother to ring me. My mum was ringing me because my husband then had to go away back to work because he was working away. So I was at home on my own, feeling very isolated. And it was the fear of the unknown, what's going to happen. And in those early days then, how did you fare with getting to grips and coming to terms with this new diagnosis that you had? I didn't. I couldn't quite understand it. So I was going back to work, even though I was absolutely exhausted. I had hospital appointments every single week. Um, but I just thought, okay, let's get the hospital appointments, let's get the treatment. You're working, Lisa, stick to that, go with the flow um, and see how you go with the medication and the regular blood tests. And speaking of the medication, I'm assuming in the very, very early days, your doctors must have sat you down and talked you through and explained to you your treatment plan and what the steps ahead of you look like. How did they break this news to you? Well, they said it was a genetic defect, so I needed to take the medication to get the platelets lowered. They said it would be a form of chemo, hydria, um, which I'd start just on one tablet per day, seven days a week. Um, but I'd have to have weekly appointments till I became stable. And I'd take a blood test every week to see if uh, the medication was doing anything. And unfortunately, it didn't do anything. So I was put on four a day, seven days a week. And that medication being a form of chemotherapy, which is a term with a lot of negative connotations and a lot of baggage. So how did you feel about starting this medication, which was chemotherapy, really? What was going through your head? I, I just thought, wow, that word. It's it's a lighter version of the chemo. So it's, I know it's only in tablet form. But to me, a person that's never ill, always been to the gym, fit and healthy, quite good for my age, um, because obviously I was 41 at this time. It was, I cried a lot. No, of course. For you, that must have been a period of real upheaval and a lot of change so to feel that way is totally natural and you spoke of how they they changed your dosage from from the one a day to four a day did that have the desired impacts they were looking for did, did things change for you there it definitely lowered the platelets um so they they lowered it a little bit I was still on weekly hospital appointments and blood tests. And when it was stable, then I was on um, appointments every three weeks. But I, I was working and I still had the fatigue. And I was doing an hour's journey there and back to work each day. And with this medication you were on, 
Were there any side effects that came alongside that? Was there anything that your doctors told you to look out for, to expect? They said it was a lighter dosage, so I shouldn't expect too much. But unfortunately, being on this for a couple of months, um, I saw a younger haematologist. I told him what was going on. I was getting dizzy spells. I'd be okay one minute, and then it would be like I was going to fall over. I'd need help. I'd need somebody to hold me up. I couldn't focus. So this haematologist did a lot of tests, and he said, Lisa, I think you're actually having a bad reaction to the hydrea. And he said, I have to take this into consideration and I I think that you need to stop this today. How far down the line was this since you started the treatment? It was the February. So I'd only started that in the November and February I stopped. And I was told, well, the next one is a very expensive drug called an agrolide, and they have to put it forward to the trust so that they allow me to have it because they only do two types of medication at my certain hospital for ET. So I went two months without any medication. And how did you feel during that time? I was a little worried, but I did actually still feel better in myself. But my mental health was suffering quite quite a lot. I started becoming gay recluse. I only felt safe in the four walls of my home. I had to give up work because two hours journey um, and working, the exhaustion, and I just kept becoming ill every day with exhaustion. No, of course. I think in those days, as well as the information that you were accessing, you also found a great source of support from your clinical nurse specialist, didn't you? I've I've still got Jane now. She's absolutely brilliant. Um, If I've got any problems, I can send her an email. She's on the ball. Um, We've got a very good relationship. And I think you need to have a good relationship with your CSM because that is your port of call if anything is wrong. You directly go to that person. That's great to hear that your CNS has had such a positive impact on your experience since then. Why do you think that leukaemia and blood cancer patients should have more access to CNSs across the UK? Because if you have a problem, if you're scared, you contact this specialist nurse and they are there. They can send you any kind of information and they they listen. Because how I see it is, Every single person is unique. So whatever condition we get, the textbooks can say they they won't get this, they won't get that. But every individual gets different symptoms. No, of course. Everyone's experience is very much individual and a case-by-case basis. So you're completely right with that. And it sounds like at that point then, obviously your treatment had been put on pause while the trust was looking at whether or not to approve this new treatment for you. What conclusion did they come to? They they did approve it. And obviously you have to start on a small dosage. So it it didn't work for the first month. Then I was increasing dosage. Um, And with with the the chemo, the hydroxia, um, 
that obviously kills the cells off when they've been made. With the anagroloid, it actually stops the production. And so much better. I felt like a human being again. It was absolutely brilliant. But I have to have a high dosage. So how long was that period then? When you, you were on this quite high dosage, but you were also feeling quite a lot better? Um, well, it was unbelievable the way I felt. I was so much happier. I felt human again. I was put on 10 of these a day. Um, and then it was dropped down. It, it's just with the anagroloid, unfortunately, because it stops production, you can never get a steady count. So your count is up and down all the while. So my treatment, my medication is changed every time I have a haematology appointment. But it's been on about eight of these tablets for several years now. So it's eight a day and it hasn't changed. And how are you feeling about that? When I talk to other people online, they're on one or two. I'm on eight a day. Um, but I know it works for me and I know it's keeping me going. I've got a, a pretty decent normal life. The only biggest thing that I have from it is severe anemia. And how have you managed with that as a side effect of your treatment over the last few years? I've had a blood transfusion and I've had two iron infusions and they really help. Um, I just have to go with the flow. I take it as it comes. I take what I need to take. If I have any problems, obviously I contact somebody. Um, but I'm quite used to taking the anagrolide now, so I don't I don't need to stress. And since that change in dosage, then has things become more stable since then, more steady, uh, or, or has there been other change as well? I've had a little bit of a change um, through a lot of stress. People need to understand they sh don't let stress affect your life. Because it, when you're on aspirin or any kind of medication, it can affect your life. So January 2020, I was under a lot of stress. Um, I didn't know that I'd got an aneurysm. It never showed on a scan I'd had a few years before. Um, I felt unconscious. The aneurysm had burst. Due to the aspirin, it flooded my neck to the front of my forehead, the whole of my brain. The unconscious me was ringing my mum and ringing my friend, saying, what day is it? What's my name? Where am I? What's going on? But I didn't know that this was happening, so I was actually unconscious for a couple of days, and I was took into hospital. And what happened next for you? How did things progress? The hospital that I was... I, I remember coming around at a different hospital, and I remember looking at people wearing black. I, and I, I actually said to them, ha ha, you're wearing black. And then I fell back asleep because I was on morphine and I was drifting in and out of consciousness. But the morphine brought me round. I wasn't allowed to leave the bed. I was told that I needed an angiogram done to see where the bleed was coming from in the brain. But because of the state of my mind that I was in, I just thought, okay, we'll, we'll see what's happening here. I don't quite understand. But I'm in hospital. People are coming to see me. Is this a dream? How did things progress? 
They did a check. Obviously, they went through the groin um, to find out where the bleed was from. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel the camera going in or anything. Um, I just lay there. I wasn't in any pain of them doing it. It lasted about 10, 15 minutes. They came back to me on the very same day and said, okay, we know where it's from. We need to operate. And Lisa being Lisa, who loves a pudding, said, before you say anything, I've come back and I've had three puddings, so I'm happy. And they said, oh, we can't operate till tomorrow now, Lisa. So I was scheduled to have the operation um, the very next day. And this must have been quite a scary time for your friends, family, loved ones. I still didn't quite know what was going on. Um, my family just, they were absolutely distraught. My one brother, I asked him after how he coped. He said, Lisa, I couldn't cope with the thought of losing you. I didn't know what to do. And this was so out of the blue and so sudden for you all to deal with. The operation the next day then, how did, how did things go? Well, obviously me being awkward and unique, um, that went well. I, um, I woke up and I felt like I was in a dungeon because I'd got all these um, drips coming from my body, hanging from my neck. And I just thought, Okay, I'm in a dungeon now. Not a problem. I said, can I go back to my normal hospital ward now? She said, we just need to do a few checks. I had a drink of water and I, I felt fine. But well, there's nothing wrong here. But I wasn't allowed to move. I was in a certain position because after I was told, instead of having an embolism where they put a clip in to stop the bleeding, because my bleed was so far down, they ha they had to glue the um, the vessel itself, the brain vessel. So I had to stay in the same position for several hours, and I just wanted something to eat. I just thought I need some puddings, please. Yes, that 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 was me. But I was happy it was done. I was in the same position. I wasn't worried. Um, I just felt relieved and I was still a little bit lightheaded with the situation. But I was on the ward, I was chatting to all the ladies and I was telling them it will be okay. It can be sorted, you're in the right place. We had amazing conversations, lots of different things wrong with the brain. But I still wasn't allowed to leave the bed for two whole weeks. And how did they manage to deal with the bleed? Well, I was told I'd actually had two strokes as well. Uh, one was probably in the operating theatre and another one before I got there. Um, I still didn't quite understand because I thought, well, I'm eating, I'm drinking, but the only thing was I was never allowed out of the bed. So I started getting muscle wastage and everything. Um, and then I didn't realise when I got home, I had to learn how to do things all over again. And the ensuing recovery period, how was that as a time for you? I couldn't walk. Um, 
I had an alarm that went off every six hours because I had to take medication for my blood pressure because that was what went sky high through stress that made the brain bleed. So every six hours I had to take these tablets and then guess what? COVID came and my children had to leave the house and I was alone. They were scared. They didn't want to give me COVID. So I spent most days in bed. I took my medication. People left food outside the house for me. Um, and luckily, I'd already moved to a house where there was a stair lift just in case I needed it. So I was using the stair lift regular. Um, and then about four days after, I thought, Lisa, you need to walk up and down your stairs. So I did. It took 10 minutes, but I walked down my stairs to my walker. And then after that day, I thought, I'm walking up and down the stairs each day. I still use the walkers. I tried to make a cup of tea. My hands shook so badly. I'd make a cup of tea. I got what, a cup in one hand, the walker in the other hand. By the time I sat down, the tea was everywhere. There wasn't anything left. And I spilt it all over my dog as well. <laughs> I thought, oh, no. But I, yeah, but I plodded on. And each day, I got a little bit better. I stopped using the walkers. I was holding on to the walls in the kitchen. And I could make a cup of tea, take it into the living room, and I could drink it. And obviously, being alone and being isolated, not having anybody around to help. But Zoom helped. Family meetings, family chat, we use Zoom. No, I'm sure like many blood cancer patients, that period of early COVID must have been a very isolating and, and potentially worrying time for you. Do you think that period had a, an impact on your mental health at all? My mental health took a nosedive, definitely. Um, I've tried my best to get through this, but then I got my Leukemia Care magazine. I was looking at that. Um, and I saw that you could get help um, through a counsellor. So I contacted Leukemia Care. They organised uh, a counsellor for me. Um, I, I'd also contacted my hospital previously. I had counselling for the ET, but I thought I need counselling because I, I'm isolated I'm on my own. So when COVID went and I was able to walk, um, I actually saw a counsellor face to face. Absolutely brilliant. If it's available, everybody should take it because the talking cure is 80% of what we need to do to help us come to terms with it. And was that your first time seeking out professional mental health support? I'd had mental health support when I was first diagnosed at the hospital with ET. I came, became very isolated. Um, I thought everybody was looking at me. Everybody could see there was something wrong with me. I was scared to leave the house. 
that's so good to hear that you managed to find that support and access it and use our, our counselling fund along the way. When I had the brain bleed, um, out of the blue, a lady rang me from Leukemia Care. I don't know how it happened. Um, and she just said, because of COVID, I'm just talking to you about your ET. I told her what happened. And she said, Lisa, we do funding for counselling. And I said, yes, please, please put me forward. And if there's someone out there and they're curious about accessing support, accessing counselling, accessing help of any variety, really, why would you recommend that they should reach out and get in touch? Because leukaemia care, they do, there's so many different kinds of leukaemia, blood cancers. Leukaemia care covers them all. The magazine, they will have people in there telling you their story of what they've been through and how they're continuing with their life, how the support they've had helps them through leukaemia care. And I thought, I need to do this. So when I got the call, it's like somebody told leukaemia care they needed to contact me um, because I was so grateful for the magazine. And that's when the ball started rolling with counselling. Anybody, please seek care with counselling through leukaemia care because those six sessions, they completely changed me. Thank you for that, Lisa. And it's so pleasing to hear that you've taken so much from the magazine that we produce. And in reading other people's stories and hearing of their experiences, is that something that you really take to and really manage to get some value out of? Definitely. If people don't get the magazine through Leukemia Care, they should because it comes regular. They've got so many different um, illnesses in there, different treatments. They show how you can help yourself, how they can help you. Actually seeing a story from a human being with their photos in there of how they went, what they went through, how they got through it, their life continuing with this condition, the treatment they've had, that is one of the most grateful things I will ever be um, owing to leukaemia care. That helped me tremendously. No, it, it's fantastic to hear that you've managed to access this support and this help from leukemia care over the years. But now you're in the position to be able to pay that forward in some respect. And I know that you're now part of our buddy scheme. And tell me, what drew you to the scheme? I was given help from leukemia care. And me personally, I wanted to give something back. So I contacted the lad and said, Thank you for helping me. Now I want to give something back because I love people. Everybody has a different life journey. I actually run just a small Facebook um, online local group. Anybody that needs somebody to talk to, if they've got an illness, I talk to them offline through private messenger. Um, I help them through the bad stages that they can't cope with life. And I thought, Lisa, I wanted to expand. I wanted to do more to help other people. Helping other people basically is my forte. This is what I want to do. So I believe you've got your buddy up in Scotland, haven't you? 
a lovely lady um, in Scotland every Monday. She's 87 years of age. She doesn't really know enough about the condition. Um, the doctors don't know a lot. So every Monday we have our phone call. I ask her how she's been, how's her fatigue. Now she's been hit badly with fatigue. We have such a lovely rapport between each other. She actually does a lot of knitting um, for charity. She sent me a penguin with a smiley face on. She, because I love purple, she sent me uh, several purple hearts she's knitted. And she actually sent me a scarf that she did for me. And it, she's so happy with the relationship that we've got. And she said, you believe in me, Lisa. You believe what I'm going through. Basically, she said, I was a lifesaver, but I don't see it that way. She's helping me by me talking to her as well. It's great to hear that, as well as the other patient gaining from your experiences and the lessons you've learned since your diagnosis, that you've also managed to gain something out of this relationship as well and this rapport. And so that's that's really lovely to hear. If there was someone out there listening and they were on the fence and they were they were unsure about joining the buddy scheme, what would you say to them? Don't hesitate. Join the buddy scheme. If you want to become a buddy, please do. Because with your diagnosis, it helps other people. If you need somebody to help you, somebody to talk to, please go on leukemia care, get a buddy to talk to, because it helps them as well as helping you. And I want to help more people. So if there's any more people out there with ET that needs somebody to talk to, please contact ET and Lisa will be there to help you. It will be a little bit crazy at times because I'm a very happy um, outgoing person. Um, and now I know life's for living. You take it as it comes, but you need somebody to talk to at the sad days, somebody to talk to with the good days and somebody to build a relationship with that you can laugh and giggle with and that you feel comfortable with telling that person anything that you want to and you know it stays within that person. And if you wanted to sum up your current situation for us now and one message that you wanted people listening to walk away with, what would it be? Never be afraid. There are people out there that can help you. There are people you can talk to. They will listen. They will not judge you. And they will actually go through you, with you, with your journey. Every stage of your journey, leukemia care is there to help you. Do not be afraid. Do not be scared. Even me, I am here to help you as well. Please use leukemia care. They are brilliant. They are helpful. I... They're a godsend to me, and I thank Leukemia Care for helping me. Lisa, it's been so great to chat to you and hear your experiences. I really appreciate your time today. And if you're going to sum up your current situation for us now, what would you say? I'm happy, Lisa, again. I've got my personality back. Um, I'm very crazy, um, but I love helping people. I'm actually studying at Open University as well because I thought I want to do something constructive. So I'm studying a degree as well. I'm absolutely loving it. There are actually people 
at the, the university that can help you because they have a disability side as well. Um, don't stop doing anything. Carry on doing things. Do things that you didn't think you could do because you can. Amazing. We always try and ask our guests if you had one piece of advice to give to a patient who has just been diagnosed, what would that be and why? Contact a charity like Leukemia Care. They will help you. They will be with you every step of your way. Do not be afraid to ask for help because there are so many people out there in the same situation as you. And when they ask Leukemia Care for help, you don't feel alone anymore. Lisa, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leukemia Chatters. For more information and support from Leukemia Care, go to our website, leukemiacare.org.uk, or call our helpline on 080 88 010 444. See you next month.